0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. This week's show is a little bit different because we're dedicating it to just one guest. We had actress, director, author, campaigner, activist, all-round badass, Rose McGowan in the studio with us, and we talked about Harvey Weinstein life after me too and just what it feels like when there's no one you can trust
0: underwear armpit hair many imitators but no one prepares.
1: badass women's hour excel with harriet minter natalie campbell and emma sexton on talk radio
0: one, two, three, four.
1: we are joined in the studio by Actress, director, author, campaigner, activist, all-round badass renaissance woman, Rose McGowan. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are very excited. We are going to be talking to Rose for the next hour all about her incredible life, growing up in a cult, being a teenage runaway, moving to Hollywood, her incredible career, uh, book tour, new book, uh, Me Too, and how it has changed basically society and how we talk about it Um, and if anyone's worrying we might be talking about Harvey Weinstein and some allegations that he has absolutely denied so Rose thank you so much for coming in your new book Brave is out in paperback right now read it I so the thing that struck me when I first read it was that I did not know how incredible your childhood was because you actually grew up in a cult I did,
2: but I feel most people did. So, <laughs> you know, people are like, it's so weird how you grow up. I'm like, so weird how you live. <laughs> you know, um, I grew up in a commune, and what helped me realize that most people are in cults, too, was that it was a, a very intense version of what society's general indoctrination does to you. But it was in um, a small multinational group and uh, with really intense desires to kind of make the women and the children bend to their ways but I kind of fought against that. What really comes across
1: from in the book from that period of your life is this sense of it creating a person who just was going to question the rules to yeah. from the second somebody said you have to do this even like, as a like a four year old like why? On, like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: no. <laughs> and no. Uh it was really just um the actions weren't matching up with what they were preaching, so none of it mm-hmm. it was just a logic based thing for me. Yeah. Um that was and I realized at a very young age that the more you ha- kind of bend yourself to make others feel taller meaning that if they're always asking you about their um you know do you believe in the god i believe in or whatever that is if i lied i would be giving some of myself away and that just chips away who you are eventually so i thought it best not to lie
3: were you were you kind of alone in your questioning even from a young child were you very much alone in that commune who was really questioning things and
2: being a bit challenging and yes to i mean i 'm sure there were other people that were adults that were doing things that i wasn 't aware of, but as a child, my father was the leader, mm. so I was definitely the one going up against him, and the kind of and a lot of the women you know that were in it it wasn 't just him, it was just part of their tenets, but it had a lot of beautiful side effects you know growing up in that commune. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, it's so tragic that I didn't get to grow up like everybody else. I'm like, no, I feel bad for most people that grew up in other ways, to tell you the truth, because I saw a lot of beauty. I grew up in Tuscany in a Duke's estate, so suck it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but going back to cons, because I, I think we, as human beings, we're really easily uh, manipulated and we can just assume that that's the way something should should be. Um Do you, um, I've lost my train of thought now and the question I've like. So
1: I guess the the thing that's interesting to me is you talk in the book about kind of growing up in a cult, ending up in Hollywood, which is a bit of a cult, Yeah. and then starting to see actually how the rest of us in society, we're all living by rules that society has created for us and we go along with and we're like, okay, we're not going to rock the boat because it's easier for us.
2: Right. I say rock the boat.
1: I don't know if you said rock the boat. That's my interpretation. <laughs> well, All right, no, down. I was <laughs> saying I
2: I would say rock the boat. You know, like what else are you doing?
1: But do but do, I I just
3: don't think many people know to even rock the boat. To they don't. It. That's the whole thing.
2: Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. And this is where I say that I I have kind of a superpower in that I saw stuff so mm-hmm. clearly, and what and how generally, um, the social structure works to indoctrinate young girls and young boys and and everybody into. Um, their structure that when you see it in a really intensive version and you disregard it and and challenge it and then you can see a more watered down version that other people get and because it's watered down they don't know that they need to fight it and they don't know that it's essentially that by not fighting it you're really adhering to a power structure that's not supporting you.
4: But is it a hindsight superpower or did you, were you always aware of it? Cause I was always aware the, of it. Okay. But it, what you do with it? I mean, it took me a, a lot. I was, to I was scared of my own power. It. Yeah, exactly. For a
2: long time. As a woman, as a young woman, I was really scared of my own power. Um, I was having, I would definitely say I kind of stayed sleepwalking on the exterior of my life for a while. While I was gaining up the energy to fight. So you talk about Hollywood being almost like
3: another version of a cult. Did it did it take you a long while to question that? Because I guess I'm curious as to when you've been in a uh, that sort of environment and you've questioned it and you've seen that. No, it's, I
2: I rebelled against I, from I, the beginning. I just I saw that it was ridiculous, but it but and this is where um, no, I, I I saw believe me the absurdities and and the injustice constantly it ground on me but there was at the time nothing you could do no, no there's there no power there's nothing you could do and I had really long hair and I would kind of hide behind it and I would just chew the inside of my lip and make it bleed and I would just suck it down and push it down and but all the while building a fair bit of rage that would later pop up <laughs> <laughs> And so we were talking about it just before you, you came on.
4: I remember watching you in Charmed and very much thinking you were, you know, the bomb bombshell, quote, quote, fingers because of the long hair and, and the visual. But then there was also the marriage to Marilyn Manson. I was like, well, that's the subversive side of things. And so a, a couple of questions. Why? I mean, why?
2: Why chew the inside of your mouth instead of just saying, do you know what? There was no way to do that. There was no social media. Mm-hmm. There was no mm-hmm. way to speak for yourself. And I'm somebody who's been a homeless teenager. Yeah. And you're really, you know, at, at, when you get discovered very young, as I did, and you get famous very quickly, what other job are you going to get? Mm-hmm. You a you're lot lot to quite lose. stuck, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah you're really backed into this weird corner. And so now you're in this power structure that doesn't reward anybody who speaks out or thinks differently. And I had to toe the line. I mean, I barely, because I was blacklisted for years, so Mm. I had to fight my way around that the reason I did a TV show called Charmed was because I couldn't get a job in film Mm. because I'd spoken up, Mm. you know. I don't know how you feel about it. I
4: loved it personally. I mean, (laughs) it made my Saturday (laughs) morning. I'm so glad.
1: (laughs) One of the things that, really resonated for me in the book was the um the fear of being homeless and the fear yeah. of being knocked out and just getting on with it and doing whatever you've got to do because it means you've got a home and you've got somewhere to stay. And I was never a homeless team but I grew up in a family who were constantly having to move houses. Right. And so there was always a kind of like you, actually were packing up and we're knew. gone. Yeah, you never know when you're gonna have to go, right? Right. And I definitely have that fear, which is if I run out of money, that said I'm under a bridge.
2: Yeah, it's a very deeply rooted fear, and it's yeah. one that's really, really hard to um, rid yourself of. And yeah. I don't know if you ever completely do.
1: Do you still mm. have it now?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. How do you I'd battle kind of, with it?
1: Yeah. How do you ba- how do you do that? How do you battle with it?
2: You just pull up your bootstraps and keep marching on and fight another day. But yeah. it doesn't make it. It's like an undercurrent.
1: How do you feel now that you have the book and your message is out there, and people really know what you stand for, and people have they buy into it? They love it. They they're so thrilled that you've done it. But it's also presumably destabilized mm. the career you had. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I'm figuring that out. I mean, I have um, an album coming out that I've been working on for three years and art projects that I've been working on behind the scenes and kind of honing my skills as a yeah. photographer and a visual artist and a director and doing all these things but yeah, the real challenge is how do you support yourself at some point, you know, that that becomes like a real thing so it's all coming out in the wash right now, you know, it's it's both a terrifying and fascinating chapter, yeah. you know, what happens when you're outside of the cult.
4: Yeah. Are you thankful though that you're outside Yeah. and you have options and less feelings of being stuck
2: yes um it was something that i was very stuck and and if i was stuck with you know kind of an individualistic mind like mine then what happens to people that are less brave or less strong and how stuck are they Mm. and not just in hollywood but in in any kind of thing of life i mean that's the whole thing my book is not about it's not even really for women it's mm. about it's it's just human it's about human nature and societal structures and you know and my life stories, but it's definitely um a lot of the stuff that if it happened to me and i'm and I can fight, what happens to the people that you know aren't there yet
1: mm. You have an amazing ability to be able to look at stuff that is as a reader it's traumatic you know being homeless as a teenager, having to run away, being shipped between parents, growing up in having abusive relationships, you know, all these, and you seem to be able to look at it in a way that is, I can see what happens, but I'm not defined by it and I'm not mm. angry at it. How do you? Right. What, how how have you made that happen? Or are you
2: angry? Go no, on, you can I tell us. I have moments of anger. Of course, yeah. I have anger. Um, my book was written. You know, I, there's there's definitely some anger at times running through that. You know, it's mm. and, and but I've always had this kind of rage and injustice. Um, I've been like that since I was zero. Yeah. You know, my father said I was born with a fist up in the air. Mm.
1: <laughs> but you are incredibly like when I look at how you wrote about your parents. There's you know you would have legitimate reason to be yes really angry with them mm-hmm. and yet you're inc- completely able to see actually this is what shaped them and this is why they were the way they were, and this is the stuff I loved about them it's a stoic yeah. interpretation yeah stoic, like that's, that's 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 the word it's yeah. stoic it,
4: and even meeting you now it it's stoic is is the thing that's sort of running <laughs> around in, in my mind
2: I'll take it um, <laughs> you know it. There was somebody I met recently, they're like, you're such a wacky woman. And I was like, wacky? <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I would, maybe I have <laughs> moods, but I don't think that's the right word to, to, to really describe me, I wouldn't say, sir, no. <laughs>
1: okay, well, we are going to keep talking to Rose about whether or not she is a wacky woman. I'm not, I'm not sure it's the word I would have picked, but um, here on Badass Women's Hour, Excel.
3: The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio.
1: Rose, we've talked a little bit about growing up and your childhood. And actually, there's one thing that I wanted to ask you, because we asked you just before you came into like, have they made a movie of your life yet? And you were like, no, but there's one year in particular I wanted to. Tell us about that year.
2: The 13th year of yeah. my life I think would make a pretty spectacular kind of a road movie, if you will. Um, it's hard to characterize. So I was a runaway from a hospital where I'd been locked up and I, by an evil stepfather. And so I escaped. And what happens is when you're on the streets, you make friends with people very, very quickly. And by that afternoon, the first afternoon, I was outside of the hospital. I had a new best friend, and she introduced me to a stripper named Tina. And to back then, you would call them drag queens, but now they would be trans women. It was just a different vernacular at the time. And um, so me and my, my cronies, my um, two fabulous creatures and T- Tina, the stripper, <laughs> we would... Um, Dance on gay nightclub stages, sleep in cemeteries, collect bottles to return so you can get money for food, and things like that. And um, and Tina actually, at one point, I was staying with her, and she was like going to charge me money to stay there. And so I broke into my own house, um, my mother's house, I should say, not mine, and um, pawned off a bunch of Christmas presents that were <laughs> there waiting for my brothers and sisters. <laughs> And supported my uh, life outside of the house. And, um, and I would also turn myself in at police stations and say, like if I was from, say, Leeds, I would go to a Manchester and say, I'm a runaway from London, and they'd buy me a bus ticket to London. And if <laughs> I got to London, then I would say, oh, I'm from Leeds, I need to go home, I have no way home, and they would buy me a bus ticket there, or wherever I, w- I want to go to Wales. I would just pick random places <laughs> and just start crisscrossing the country. I love it. <laughs> By myself on a bus and just get somewhere for about 3 or 4 days, go to a police station, cry, repeat the same performance and then they'd buy me another <laughs> ticket to wherever I wanted to go. They were just trying to get me out of their hair, pretty much. <laughs> They're like anything to make this weird teenager go away.
3: I'm laughing, but you're a teenager who's home. Like you know, like I mean, I may, amazing that you, you even had like the thought to but think about sure. that yeah. sort of survival. it's a survival plan, isn't it? It is
2: a survival plan. Yeah, and I, I always thought while surviving, I might as well have fun. And you tell the whole
4: story with a smile on your face. Like I yeah. don't feel. I'm sure there was a lot of emotion and darkness. Yeah, there, but but no, it's definitely I
2: had adventures. Yeah, you know that's a lot of the stuff. Like I did an interview the other night, and the guy was like trying to do like tr- like sad porn about my life, and I was like, "Pal, no, you got it wrong. I've dealt with some hard stuff for sure. Like a lot of us have. Maybe some on on a global scale, um, but." Uh, no, I've had a lot of adventures and a lot of good times too. It's it's not it's not a one note thing. But do you think those hard times have helped you
3: to be mm. brave? Because we were talking in the the break just about you know um, you coming out with your initial story uh, that you know started that Me Too movement. I'm interested to know like what was your what was your thoughts before breaking that news story? And how did you get the, the bravery and the to to put something out there that you knew was gonna cause
2: the world yeah, to shift. that's a mm-hmm. that's a really that's that was a really major good thing. That was a huge thing and it was and now looking back, which is why I had to conserve some of my energy and my strength for years until I could get strong enough because I knew I was gonna have a hell of a fight on my hands. Mm. Did you always know you were going to break that story though? Yes, were you, like, it was you were not going to stay silent on that. No, no, no. It, it was, was just a matter of when.
1: It was a matter of when, and Trump really helped. Mm-hmm. Did you know it was going to shift things in the way that it did though? Because yeah, did you not have a part? There'd be a part of me which is going to think I'm going to say this, and maybe it'll be a story for 24 hours, and then nothing will happen.
2: It, no, mm-hmm. um, I knew it would have bigger reaches because I'd also... It wasn't just like all of a sudden this article just came out. That's what it seemed like to the world. But I'd been working on that article and articles with them for a a while behind the scenes, and it took me three years to write my book. And so I was writing my book behind the scenes while all this stuff was going on. I had one year left of writing my book um, when the article started to be written, and I I needed to... It's very complicated. There's another book in, in how all this stuff happened. But um, it's 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 a very complex and weird tale. But suffice it to say, it took an extraordinary amount of strength and almost mm. killed me. I think. Yeah. Mm.
3: Did, was there was there like insider knowledge? We talk about it in other industries that when there is a a man who has a reputation, and Me Too movement has has kind of smoked out a lot of those guys. But there were conversations that women were saying about the guy at say that creative agency, the guy at yeah, that company. Yeah, of course. So it's just like, so like it was,
2: anywhere. It was it's, was. it's just like anywhere, and it's not just the women. It's the men that know it it's, and it's the women that um support that structure you know it's it's all together that it's, was one of the things how that society behaves really shocked me
1: in the book was just
2: how much of that structure
1: is just blasé about it it's like right, oh, but that's not life? just
2: that structure that's also just the world so, because yeah. i always say what happens to women behind the scenes in hollywood it's what yeah. happens to us on screen is what happens us to us in the world yeah. you know there's a direct correlation i think
3: i'm having an awful lot of conversations with guys when I talk about the Me Too movement and nearly every single white guy (laughs) says to me, um, I think the Me Too movement has been really bad because actually there's all the all the fake cases and a fake case can bring a man's career down and that seems to be the main that that is the main conversation i have right. about me too right well
2: that's the, the two things that i got conflated me too you know, the press called it a movement. Me Too was started by an act- an activist named Toronto Burke, a hashtag, mm-hmm. and it was simply a way for people to talk to each other. Did this happen to you? Me Too. That's literally what it actually is, people. The rest of it, for the men out there going, oh, they might lose their job, shut up. <laughs> Seriously, sh- <laughs> just shut up, moron because here's the thing the reality is if they did what they're really you know accused of and they're and they don't go through and they do go through due process then they'll be exonerated if they don't then they probably should have been convicted of a crime and not just worried about losing their jobs so i want to go back to the moment
4: because part of my brain is chuckling and going you know you had your to-do list pick up laundry go to the shops shift the world's axis maybe not today might do that tomorrow yeah so the morning where you decided or the moment you decided what happened where were you what were you doing
2: well it's it was just you know it was actually um trump was was going through his um nomination process and and his campaigning and you know, the Access Hollywood tape, uh, you know, where he was famously, you know, grab him by the blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just thought, oh, thank you. This is going to show people in a very black and white way what this actually is that we're talking about, you know. Um What this is, is what it looks like. It's very obvious. And and it's very easy for men to be like, or women, to be like, oh, they're just complaining and da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, no, this is what it is. And it took the good people on the left to be like, oh, that's what they've been talking about all along. Yes, this is what we've been talking about all along. Just like how all of a sudden with the advent of body cameras, you know, you see in America, oh, the police are shooting young black men. Yes, that's what they've been talking about for all this damn time. And it's real, and so it was the rage of, of that moment when yes. you were like, "Today is the day," and um, and also I was just it's a it's it's a bit it's a, there's a lot more complexity behind the scenes. You know, I had uh, the bad guy coming after me privately to shut down my book's publication. And so there's a lot of fighting going on behind the scenes with lawyers and that were secretly really working with him, right. that were supposed to be working for me. My literary agent was also secretly working with him behind the scenes. Um, it was just like, it was it was unreal. The amount of adversity uh, that I faced to get this out in the world was, was extreme. Um, he, there was a million dollar bounty placed on my book. And there was a million dollars going to anybody who could procure the book before its publication and so it was a company called black cube that was staffed by ex Mossad that was hired to infiltrate my life and hired a woman to pose as a sexual assault survivor in fact she was Mossad and um and they stole 125 pages of my book before it was published how do you trust anyone i don't ever yeah. i was just about to yeah. Also say yeah. yeah i mean you don't i mean i trust my partner i trust I trust some of my friends, but I don't, inherently it's always just been me. I've just been me on my own in my life and that's how it probably will always be. But you trusted, again, going on, on
4: the journey. I trust the universe. At, cause <laughs> at 13, you trusted enough to
2: know that you I trusted could, myself. Trust okay. yourself, yeah. Right, I trusted myself. And the times I didn't trust myself is when I got the most messed with in life, you know. Mm -hmm. At times that I thought other people, not that they knew it was best, but if you meet people that are like all of a sudden everyone's freaking out that they're so much more powerful than you and it puts you in this like weakened position, that's like what many people can relate to, I'm sure. Um, And an unfair power advantage, you know. I just, I despise people that abuse power and I think that's a pretty clear enemy to have how will you stop yourself being corrupted
4: by power that you're you know, c- going to come into? Yeah. I've so known, you, I
2: haven't turned into a dickhead yet.
4: <laughs> I mean, you, know, you book out music,
2: art, there's a conversation Yeah, but you also understand I've also went through like being famous, yeah. I went through all of that stuff and it never turned my head. Yeah. I, I think I've had many opportunities to turn into a jerk before this time. Yeah. Apologies for the use of the other word there. What word? <laughs> Do you know what? Last (laughs) time I had to apologize, I then said the word again.
1: Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Thank you so much for staying with us, Rose. I wanted to talk to you about uh, directing in Hollywood because you are now, as I introduced you, you were an actress. You're now a director. Mm. And I was watching the interview with you, and you had this astonishing stat that only ninety six percent of direct
2: ninety six percent of directors are in men. Hollywood are men. Correct, and that statistic hasn't changed since nineteen forty six. It's for uh, the union is called the Directors Guild, the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, and and that's largely white males, you know, and that's a very Nothing wrong with that, but that's an incredibly narrow and binary view to give the rest of the world. And people think, you know, what happens is Hollywood is just like, Oh, Hollywood, those wacky weirdos, you know, like as if it stays there, or those corrupt, you know, monsters behind the scenes, or those fake liberals, whatever they are, but it doesn't stay there. It goes all through the airwaves and it goes it's America's number one export. Yeah. You know, it is the propaganda machine for the mind and it is it is dangerous what it what it peddles if you don't look at it you need to look at what you're consuming with a very critical eye
1: one of the things that comes across in your book brave is just this almost kind of like shaking the shoulders of the rest of us being like please look at what you're watching yeah. and there was a stat in there which was 27 percent of lines from movies in 2016 only 27 percent were women and most of those were horror movies
2: yeah that because women do not come out well if the horror movies no they generally don't come out yeah. well in horror movies no so that's where they had the most dialogue for women across any movies was in horror movies that's when they're allowed to speak the most but that's usually when they're yelling to fight for their lives or screaming for help
4: i generally avoid
2: horror movies but i, I do, do like marvel <laughs> uh,
4: and i watched captain marvel last friday how is that it i mean it I, I like. I don't need um, highbrow entertainment to be entertained. Let's just say. <laughs> so I thought it was great. No, um,
2: I'm I'm probably the last movie I saw in theaters was Mary Poppins, which I also didn't like. But um, <laughs> I wish I had because I really wanted to. So no, I'm not only like foofy. I'm, I'm and believe me, the highbrow entertainment can be just as damaging and have true. just the same exact messaging systems. It's not just the. That's another mistake that people make. I think is they think it's only like that you're attacking mainstream. It's not. It's, it's all over the place. How do you go about being aware? And we've had this conversation on the
4: show before. Once you become aware of things, you then don't want to turn into a boring person that's like, I'm not going to do all of this stuff because I can see all the hidden messages and meanings. Right. So how do you fu- walk
2: the, the line between just living and existing? And It's a really t- tough line. I'm really... Um, I'm pretty rigid with what I let into my brain. So for me, it's primarily reading and music. Mm -hmm. I don't um, watch that much cinema anymore. I just don't really... I've kind of done my time. (laughs) Other than your own movies. (laughs) Well, I studied film, and I I was deeply immersed in in that. And I've just, in the last couple of years, I haven't had time really to do anything other than fight. Mm -hmm. But coming back into getting to do my own creative endeavors will be certainly a welcome thing. Um, You know, putting down the... Putting down the weaponry for a little bit would be nice, certainly. But it is, it is, um, it's just like it's just like if you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, why is that woman always carrying the laundry basket? She never does laundry. You know, (laughs) just look at what you're watching. Mm -hmm. Like what? So what are they sending out to the? You know, why is it always the women in washing up commercials? Like why? Just Mm -hmm. basic stuff. You're like, come on. Like Mm -hmm. just think deeper, think better. Stop Mm -hmm. it. Stop. And 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 that's part of this like kind of mass market indoctrination. Um, indoctrination, sorry, Um, that is so prevalent with with what we were talking about earlier, going back to, like, how do people in a watered-down society know that they're in a cult-like structure too? Well, that's how you do it. You you start picking it apart. Do you Mm -hmm. think there's any impetus in Hollywood to change? Because... Sure.
1: Well, this week we had, this week, last week, we had Emma Thompson, who quit a movie because the studio re-employed somebody who had been... Fired just a year before from another studio for sexual harassment. James and Gunn. She, uh, no, let me check his name. I do have it somewhere. Um, I don't think it was no, but he. She, oh, he's was a qu- Pixar guy.
2: Yes. Well,
1: um, good for Emma Thompson. Yeah, she quit. But people are being re-employed left,
2: right, and center. So. Yeah, they are. Because that's Hollywood. Just wants it to go away and stop. But it's incumbent upon us and people like Emma Thompson <coughs> and like the people that can exert some kind of control and power to say no and it sucks that we have to but yep. until they can clean up their own backyard mm. you know we we're, we're going to be the ones that have to do it
3: we're, we're knocking Hollywood
2: quite a lot because yeah. there's lots that need to do but you obviously
3: really wanted to to get into acting and you've done loads no from... I didn't actually you didn't I was oh, discovered oh because I'm yeah. interested to know like what was were there some good bits though in terms
2: of your career you've done so much you've done yeah. the music you've done TV. I was really good at it you enjoyed it, but no, but I was really good at it. There's a difference. There's an. Interesting um, I enjoyed some components. I'm also good at tying my shoes, but I don't know. <laughs> right. Interesting. It. Sorry, yeah. I it was assume, no I for me. It was everybody went. assumes, but I talk about that in my book a lot about like people like you were so lucky. You were so lucky. And I'm like, you don't know what luck is. Mm-hmm. And, and your, a definition of what somebody's dream might be is not my definition. Mm-hmm. And no, I was discovered two weeks after my boyfriend was killed. And I was standing on a street corner crying. And then two weeks after that, I was starring in a movie. And, um, and that's how that happened. So it was always for me a day job.
0: Did a it really feel... unique
2: day job, but a day job. Did it feel good or secure to have somebody say,
1: you're good at this. We're going to give you more work.
2: No, that's not how they do it. They mm-hmm. they fill you with fear that you're never going to get another job and that you have to conform and do all these, you know, what was what was discovered about you was that you were special and then they do their best to kind of homogenize that out of you. Yeah. But that's kind of what they do to kids in the world, mm-hmm. right? Like here you're zero, you're amazing, you're an amazing, extraordinary creature and by the time they're five years old they've had their creativity stolen and here's what you are and here's what you can't do. It, mm-hmm. It's It's not dissimilar. Do you know what you would have done as a career when you when you look? No, back I was now. so young. I really don't. Yeah. I really, but I also talk about in my book that I always knew I was going to be famous, but I always knew it wasn't a big deal. I was like, it was just something. I was like, all right, let's do this. I know it's strange, but I've always had like kind of just kind of knowledge of what my future was going to look like.
4: Not strange, more
1: heavy.
2: Yeah, I mean
1: a lot of responsibility it, for a young kid
2: yeah, yeah.
4: and to me it's not, it's then connecting the dots between if you know all of this stuff so you know you have a superpower and you know you're going to be famous actually I can see more and more now listening to you why you would be like do you know what I'm just going to snake America on some greyhound buses because yeah. I'm going to game the system yeah basically <laughs> I'm going to yeah. game the system yeah.
2: and for uh, uh, a woman to do what I did and to game the system that hard is a pretty major feat of accomplishment and so is that part And of to the plan? rip down a power structure yeah. that needed to be tumbled. And I'm not talking about one man, I'm talking about the idea of power mm-hmm. and what it means and how we, we are supposed to all just obey it because it is. Mm. You know, that's what I'm fundamentally opposed to. So is that the plan going forward? That's the plan going forward. With books and mus- music music yeah. and keep art pushing and culture. at it. Yep. Just keep pushing at it.
1: How do you think social media has
2: transformed power mm. in society? I mean, it's it's both things. It's both, you know, the mob at the door and also something that gives somebody a voice when they didn't have one, you know. So it's, it's a double-edged sword, but I think it's... If we can start wielding it wisely, and one of the things I did was about four years ago, I started following different, like, editors and um, people in the... Um, in the media business, like reporters, uh, publishers, like from all over the world, like Hindustan Times, I would follow their deputy editor, or I would follow the Paducah, Kentucky outlet, you know, whatever it was, the number two on their masthead, and I would start strategically doing this so they would pay attention who's verified that's following them, and then whenever I tweet something, they're like, Ugh. they won't, they're so they're now paying attention to what I'm saying, and I can disseminate information that way. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I do.
3: What's a What's a cult versus a movement?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know about movements. Um, I know what a cult is, and I think a movement. I mean, that's the whole thing. They keep calling it a Me Too movement, but I'm like, who's the Who's the person? That's there's no. There's no. martin luther king jr like taking people down the street it's not it's not that kind of thing it was largely media created that word attached to it you know and and uh it was it was a way for the media to control the information that was getting out about itself really Mm. do you think
1: that there is no kind of martin luther king jr leader of me too I'm putting leader in quotes, but no kind of figurehead for it because it is a a
2: movement that was started by women. No, I think it's because it's a reset button. I think it did Mm -hmm. what it came to do. I think it pushed a button and it's like we just needed to shift our lenses by about 10% and start seeing each other as more human. And I think it did what it came to do. And its effects, you know, will reverberate and keep continuing to be felt, but it's not something where it's like there's a lobbyist force or there's people that are, you know, it's now, like, what I wanted to do was not about Me Too at all. My book and everything is about just challenging thought, you know, and the the power structure, the the greater power structure. It's not about Hollywood. It's not about any of that stuff. And it's... um, You know, sexual harassment is just the flaming spear tip that I wrote in on, but that's not my mission. Not by a long shot, no.
1: Do you think feminism challenges thought? Uh, Would you describe yourself as a feminist?
2: I always say yes because I'm not stupid. (laughs) I mean, uh, (laughs) duh. You know anybody do you believe in equal pay for women and equal rights congratulations you too are a feminist <laughs> you know, it seems like a pretty basic she you know right. thing. it seems like a basic logic thing here but um, overall my my you know I would say I'm a humanist I, I guess if I had to be an ist of something um, I think I get really really bored with the gender thing and I get m- I'm much more interested in people stop if they could stop seeing themselves as women and stop seeing themselves as men because they're so born into the system, if they could actually see themselves as human, what were you before you were told what you are? Mm. Before they massaged your brain and telling you what you could be because you are this. You know, what if you were actually went before that? I mean, I think then we could actually have a lot freer conversations. Our, the, the mind would be more unlocked. I think we could we could really then accomplish some things.
4: And so, on that, but also on the 10% shift, because it was a 10% shift that was actually a really huge shift, um, yeah. you're calling for people to be 10% better in their in their lives. Yes. What does that look like for someone that is, you know, going about like... Practically life... perfect,
1: is that what you are going to say? <laughs>
4: I, I, well, now, if you're thinking about you're me, like, yeah. You're like, if it applies. I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. If it's possible. Yeah. Uh,
4: I was thinking about more other people, but yes. Um <laughs> how does the normal person walking around just waking up what does 10% look like for them
2: well for me you know what that what I whenever I'm and I did this growing up because I didn't have a lot of supervision it was mostly just myself and I was like okay whenever I would be scared or I was in a situation I didn't know how to handle or that needed just even a little situation that needed guidance I would imagine what the best version of me would do and I would just imitate that and that's how I raised myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we, if it's like, what does it mean being 10% better? What would the best version of you do in your life in any given situation, both small and big, and just act as if until it comes true? Do you think you're ever done with that extra 10% yeah. improvement
3: no. though?
4: No, you keep going, no. I'm going to commit to 10% less red wine.
2: All right, all right. (laughs) Every little helps.
1: Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. We've talked a lot about kind of your life and Hollywood and the incredible movements that you have been part of and put yourself out there with. How was it writing a book about all of that? Was it cathartic or was it exhausting?
2: It was both Um, and I got asked a lot about whether writing was cathartic while I was writing it and I was saying no it's hell you know I mean Hemingway says writing is easy you just sit at the typewriter and bleed (laughs) and that's kind of what it felt like you know minus the typewriter and we have a laptop now but um, it was definitely like calling on ghosts you know the three years that I was writing it I was really mad at my dad and I didn't visit his grave the whole time I was writing it I was too angry I didn't want I didn't want to deal with him because uh, I was dealing with him so much in the book. And then, um, and then, like, the second it was published, like, he and I, not that he has much choice in the matter at this point, <laughs> but he and I, no, like, I can, it was like it healed something. And, and I've been able to spend a lot of time at the cemetery with him. And it's good. Would you do it again? Oof. I wouldn't, I mean, I think that this book is kind of a, it's kind of a, in a weird way a a strange form of a bible for our times now you know um and i think you only write that kind of thing once but i have other books in me but Mm. not this book this book is very special how do you summon up the energy
1: to be creative because you are dealing with a lot right i mean I can imagine if you just look at Twitter for ten minutes in the morning, I would <laughs> no, then need to take a nap. Business. Yeah, you right. don't want to kill yourself. Yeah, like it's it's intense. How do you? It is intense. How do you kind of build up the resilience to deal with that and still have the energy to create?
2: Well, in the last year and a half, I largely couldn't. I couldn't create. I had to put everything on the back burner. Um, I was just fighting, and I was on the ropes every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was just coming from one direction or another, and it was a global fight, and I i knew that if if not me whom mm. and so one of the things that i i really think is is i've been learning a lot about is self care and um, for a long time i thought that meant like getting a pedicure yeah Apparently, it's more involved. <laughs> yeah, a pedicure is good for like an I hour. I was like, yeah, I get a pedicure. Yeah, I get it. They're like, do you practice self-care? I'm like, yeah, I get a pedicure <laughs> once a month or so. What? <laughs> Apparently, there's more things to it.
3: What's your self-care?
2: Like, what do you do to self-care?
3: Because I think you're right. I think there is a misconception. You light some candles, you have a bath, and that's self-care. Right, exactly. Yeah. And
2: I, I think for me, it was really learning boundaries. And, um, like my girlfriend the other day was like, can I use the flat to have all these people over to film something? I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I love you, but no, I, I no." And that's just because for me, like my space is really, really critically important because the world is very scary. And I, I have like, uh, like I try to control, not control It's the wrong word. I, it's almost like. You have to make sure the frequency that you're on matches the outside frequency, and, and that's a hard thing to negotiate sometimes um, as like a sensitive, creative person, I suppose. Have
3: you found it hard instilling those boundaries? Because I think you're right. I feel like boundaries is one of the most important things you can do. It took me a long time, do, But yeah. it's really hard to go to say no. And also not to say no. I'm really sorry, but. Right. You can't I was like, And no. give a million excuses as to why they can't yeah. rather than just no. No. no.
2: And the per- and I was just like, no. <laughs> and I was really proud of myself. And, and I was like, look, the world didn't stop rotating. <laughs> they're, they're like, okay. And just go on to the next point. Yeah. It's just not that big of a deal. You know, a lot of times people make things that, you know, Oh, if I say no to this, then, you know, but it's like by saying no to something, what are you saying yes to? You're yeah. saying yes to either yourself or to a better experience. Mm. So many people struggle with that, though. It's a real struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah.
4: confrontation, though, isn't it?
3: Because someone but you care not... about is
2: asking something. But it's not confrontation.
3: No, but I guess if someone you care about is asking you something. You I mean, want it to depends on the
2: ask. And, of course, yeah, if yeah. you if it's something that's really meaningful, that's different. Yeah. If it's like, can I have a party here? no <laughs> can i have a bunch of people that you don't know in your bedroom or you're in a your flat no.
1: no i actually always think that's the defining moment when you know you've become an adult i remember when i was about you know, a few years ago and i was flat sharing and i had a much younger flatmate and i woke up on a saturday morning and there were bodies kind of strewn across uh. the flat and i had this moment where i was like no, no. i was like that's it i'm A year ago, I would have been like, yeah, great, fine. No, 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 done here. Too old for this now. Moving on. And do you still have that flatmate? No. (laughs) I moved out. I was like, my time here is done.
2: I need to go get my own place. Um, Rose, what is next for you? Well, what's next for me is I'm doing some awesome dates. Oh, we have them here. Yeah, what are Going those dates? Going on tour.
1: <laughs> you are 26th of April, Chester Story House, Chester. Lovely. 27th of April, National Concert Hall, Dublin. 4th of May, South Bank Centre, Queen Elizabeth Hall here in London. And 5th of May, Lowry at Salford Keys.
2: What's Larry at Sulphur Keys?
1: Uh, well, Sulphur Keys is up near Manchester. She oh, says, okay.
2: Hopefully. It is, it is. That's yeah, good, yes.
1: thank you. Uh, I don't know what the Larry is. I have not been there, but it sounds delightful. <laughs> it sounds delightful. <laughs> it's a
2: beautiful, beautiful oh, I'm theater. Excited. In I'm Manchester. really excited. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to go. And then I have an album coming out this summer called Planet Nine. And the album I was working on concurrently with the book is kind of what kept me sane. And the album. Um, I'm playing my first dates at the Fringe Festival, actually, in August. It's oh, yeah. exciting. What I sort know. of music is it? It's like music to go to space, too. Okay. okay. Yeah. And um, there's a couple songs now up on Spotify. If you just put in my name, you can work it out. There's one called RM486 that I really love.
3: Oh yeah, I heard about this. Okay. And that's named after
2: um, it's a it's a mix between my initials and the famously controversial abortion drug RU486. Mm. And it made it so like when I released the song like Rolling Stone was interviewing me they're like, "So, tell us about the name." Like, "Funny shit, Let's discuss women's rights." i <laughs> like, oh, "No." Julia. no. Julia. Oh, she tricked us. <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, I did." <laughs> <laughs> But the lyrics in that are, um, held my hand up to the stars, gilded lilies driving cars, it's time to say it, so I will, I can, I do, I vow to live, to all of us lost in time, to those waiting to be picked up, to those who cry and bleed and die, to those with the unnatural sigh. And then the chorus is, only here to paint colors on the sun, only here to see the fires run. Because that's really all we're here to do, we're just here to paint colors on the sun.
1: It's like poetry.
4: Yeah, amazing
1: <laughs> it is. lyrics. Yes. I think. Yeah. I think we've all just fallen a little bit in love. <laughs> um, Rose, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Obviously, this week is the Weinstein trial. He denies the allegations. When it's over, how are you going to feel?
2: Oh, I don't want to talk about any of that because I don't want to have my life distilled down to what happens to a man's life, how it will affect me. And I can't time travel forward. It's uh, it's going to be triggering and hard, as one would imagine. And and uh, but there's no chance but to pull up your bootstraps and keep marching forward. Beautiful. Thank you
1: very much. Um, the fabulous Rose McGowan. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. You've been an amazing interview. One two three four. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Hour, HR, um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,